FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 201 of the podcast The Ghost Snit. I'm your host, Jason Sinister Schemes Venable, and I'm joined uh, once again by Andrew Ignite Inferno Autry. And we're here for a special bonus flashback episode, The Road to Inferno. Hey Andrew. Hey Jason, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good, how you doing? I am really excited to talk about Inferno. Yeah, you ready to you ready to light my fire? Yeah, unfortunately, this first part here has got no uh, <laughs> got no uh, new mutants in it, but uh, we'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So we have a we have a song for this episode. Is it a uh, hot time summer in the city? Oh, it should be <laughs> hot time summer in the city. Something, Back something. Oh yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I want to tell you what me and Cameron used to sing. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I don't. I don't want to know that. Something else that rhymes with city. <laughs> Boys. <laughs> uh, no, it's a, uh, it's a uh, burn, baby, burn, marble inferno. Oh, that's that's better. Yeah. I've been waiting like two years to do that, so it probably fell flat. But <laughs> um, so 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 far in in less than two minutes, you got light my fire reference. So got, <laughs> yeah, three songs. Three songs and running. Right. Hey, who did the really crappy like lounge version of light my fire? Where in the ending goes light my fire, light my fire, light my fire. It's like um. Is that, is that Iglesias? I don't think I've ever heard that. But no, <laughs> you really want to. Oh, I'm going to have to pray to Google real fast. Hold on. Dear Google, who did the cover of Light My Fire? Yeah, I went through a pretty big doors phase, but I don't recall any covers. Um, well, come on now. Did everybody go through a Doors phase? Is that a pretty common thing? Every, I think everyone our age did, yes. Oh, okay. Well, apparently a bunch of people have, but there was a very famous... Oh, Jose Feliciano. Anyway, it's, it's, it's really bad. Oh, but, well, I know what I'm Spotifying later. somewhat fun. <laughs> and it just goes off on the end, because there's no... I mean, he's just got like a little lounge band, and there's no like Ray Manzarek or any organ solos or guitar solos or anything... So to make up for that, he does like vocal soloing. <laughs> it's uh, something else. <laughs> but anyway, we're not here to talk about that. No, we should. But we're here instead to talk about Inferno. And so, uh, just a little guide for the listener. We're going to follow the complete Marvel reading order for this uh, event. And we're also going to break it into three episodes. And you can Google, just Google Mar- complete Marvel reading order. Um, it's something, Travis hyphen Starns something dot com. But you can Google. It's a great website. I use it a lot uh, for the podcast. So we'll, we'll go in that order. But also, this thing is massive. It's a whole lot of comics. And um, 
you know, I thought, ah, we'll just, we'll go really fast and we'll get through it all. But, but no, it was not going to happen. So we're going to break this up into three episodes. Uh, based on the fact that the first Wolverine appearance is, even though it's like four or five issues in, it's called a prologue. <laughs> and so we'll, we'll kind of do this first set, like I said, The Road to Inferno. Then we'll do like the meat of the Inferno sandwich. And then we'll do like a prologue. And so that's how we're going to break it up. Uh, we'll still go pretty fast because wow, this is a pretty major significant X-Men story. And also pretty significant for some of the other books. It's really not, there's not a whole lot of Wolverine in here. And so, um, you know, we will, we will treat it accordingly on the podcast that goes snipped. Anyway, uh, you have any, like, memories, Andrew, uh, from your youth of Inferno? Yeah, see, I didn't really get into this one in my youth, per se. Uh, this was during my, I'm not really reading as many comics, but I found that comic book shop in Abilene that had 50 cent boxes. And nice. so I bought probably 60 out of the 100 New Mutant comics for <laughs> 50 cents a pop. And so I I was very familiar then with the New Mutants part of Inferno, and okay. then it was it, you know in the following years that I was able to pull in the other, a lot of the other pieces at, at least most of the X books. I don't have all of the ten all of the tangential ones. I, but I yeah, yeah. Lot. Oh, go ahead. I remember when I first read it though it it felt like I was reading something with consequences, something with some weight to it, and you know it did have that. It did uh, have some pretty profound changes for things so i you know reading it now i recognize there's some ridiculousness and there's a bunch of stuff that if i read it for the first time now i might not like as much <laughs> but uh you know it's hard not to see it through the lens of reading it 20 years ago right yeah see i think i like it a little better now because i used to be very biased against limbo and I still don't love it, but this is a very limbo-centric story. But when oh, absolutely. I've, when I've really yeah, identif- I really identified... I decided to hate the New Mutants. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I really identified with, and we'll talk about kind of going through this, this read-through, was how much character work is in a lot of these books. Yep. And so that's kind of what, what is latching me. So we're basically going to focus on the quote-unquote prologue and Uncanny X-Men... 239 and then we're just going to kind of ride roughshod through all the uh tie-ins so anyway we're uh we're going to talk about about the comics now so we're going to start with a little series called exterminators and it's interesting because this story the inferno kicks off it even says now begins inferno with the first issue of a four-issue miniseries which I don't know how like anticipated this series was or not, but it's it's straight from the pages of X Factor, as it also says on the cover. And basically, if you've been reading X Factor, these are the kids that they've had on the ship, and it's become too dangerous for them to be there. They shipped them off to this school, and they kind of inadvertently started a new uh, team of mutants, and that's that's where they are. So uh, basically, in this first issue. Sim, uh, the evil Barney, has a way out of limbo and employs Naaster to steal 13 babies for his plan of interdimensional domination. Uh, they kidnap Leech and Artie 
And the exterminator kids run around and do stuff. I think you just fully recapped Exterminators issue one. Yeah. Successful. <laughs> Successfully. Yes. So Andrew wanted me to mention, we actually uh, had to re-record some of this. You didn't want to mention that this is written by Louise Simonson, who was, of course, at the time, writing both. What? Did I lose you? No. Can you not hear me? It went quiet there for a second, then I heard a buzz. Oh, I heard the buzz, too. That's, that was on the iPad. I don't know. Uh, last thing I heard was you say she wrote both. Oh, well, I paused intentionally. I was going to let you fill it in. <laughs> Man, we've got awesome chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she wrote both X Factor and New Mutants at the time, and so it's a good way to tie these stories together. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> I, <laughs> was that pause for me to talk? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, look, let's face it, the, the Exterminators, this is a fairly cheesy book with really weighty subject matter. I think it's just a vehicle for how to transition these kids into other books she's writing to kind of figure out where they're going to land afterwards. Yeah, I will say, I, when I, I enjoyed the first issue a lot more than I thought I did. There's a little history. Um, Andrew showed up at work one day and said, hey, it's kind of his, his Andrew voice when he's trying to get me excited that he does. And uh, <laughs> he said, hey, I got you something. And he kind of nudged his elbow at me. And then he threw the, the four Exterminators issues on my desk that he found at Half Price Books. And, you know, I was very flattered that he thought of me. And he goes, enjoy, they're terrible. And then he ran off to your office. <laughs> like, oh, okay, well... <laughs> You got, you got to lower the bar for this kind of thing. Right. But I did enjoy the first issue a lot more than I thought I did. And let me say why. It really has nothing to do with the part they necessarily play in Inferno or or the kids. Though I like those characters okay. Riders really have a big soft spot for Artie and Leech. Yep. This, this first issue had a lot of Artie and Leech. And so I really enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, I like Artie and Leech a lot. This Taki kid is a pain in the neck. You know, <laughs> Boom Boom, Richter, Rusty, and Skids, they they kind of played pivotal roles as the ongoing New Mutant story. So I got right. maybe a soft spot for them a little bit. But uh, yeah, Artie and Leech are great. They're, yeah. a, they're a center. They're the superstars of this story. Yeah, I do love how the Exterminator's uniforms basically came out of Saved by the Bell. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's going to be the second issue, but where they get what become their uniforms, that this more or less becomes Boom Boom's look forever, <laughs> and it happens uh, happens here in the Exterminators. Yeah, until I feel gets a hold of her. Then. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, moving right along to Avengers number two ninety eight. In this issue, New York begins to come to life, evil life. It was basically maximum overdrive, eat your heart out. And that's really all you need to know. It's a story that focuses on Jarvis fighting, um, you know, stuff that comes to life. <laughs> Did you have a chance to read that one? Have you ever read that? Do you have that one? I don't have that one, but okay. I like Jarvis a lot. Yeah, it's okay. So I'm guessing that's the book where they start establishing that this demon invasion is causing... 
buses and um, lampposts and things to come to life. Yeah, they haven't tied it together yet. It's more of a mystery at this point. Okay. So that takes us right back into Exterminators number two. Uh, here we find out the 13 babies are for a spell to open up Limbo. Now, Aster doesn't want Artie and Leech, but his goblins got four babies. So he's, he's working his way up to the spell. Artie and Leech were the wrong kids. So what happened is he told his demons to, he was basically trying to describe what babies were like. And he's like, they're small and human and have no hair. And his demon saw Artie and Leech and said, these are small and have no hair. But Aster was like, no, they're too old. <laughs> and that's about as, about as much fun as that issue was to read. <laughs> yeah, the only kind of important plot point of this, and it's, it's probably the stupidest part of Inferno, and it's unfortunately a linchpin to the whole story, is, is Taki's superpower, his mutant power, is that basically whatever he thinks of, he can, he can build, he can turn his, his uh, wheelchair into like a flying car and stuff like that. Right. He basically can do, basically he can do what Forge can do in like a millionth of the time <laughs> without, and without having to be Forge. Right. Uh, without being as angsty. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, he is kind of angsty though. And that, he is kind of angsty, but he's, he's, he's angsty like, in no the one likes me. way, not in the uh, pining after storm way. True. True. But the, the part that's a linchpin is because of his mutant power, Naster, the demon, realizes his spell is super complicated and too difficult, and he wants a computer to run his spell through, and Taki can build the computer. Pretty much. So that's, that's, what, um, that's what this builds to, is that Taki re- gets taken by the demons. Yeah. And there's a really dumb like wordplay where the demons overhear him talking about his computer having a spell checker, and they're like, oh, that means it checks magic spells. Our nasty master will love this. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole issue drives on that, like, misunderstanding. Yep. Which is unfortunate. This, unfortunately, this entire art kind of hangs on that. <laughs> On that, because the computer becomes such a central part of the entire right. story. Yeah. All right. Well, now we're going to move on to the Amazing Spider-Man number three eleven, which basically this whole issue, Spidey confuses Inferno for Mysterio's illusions. Done. Done. <laughs> but I don't want to shortchange it too much because this is in the middle of McFarlane's run, which I like to reread about once every three or four years. And I'm rereading it again right now, and I just I love that run. It is yep. one of my uh, one of my treasures of my comic collection because I have the whole thing, and I just I love revisiting. Wow, that. you have uh, you have three hundred? Oh yeah, yeah yeah, in oh, good man. shape too. Every now and then I think I need to sell this, but I can't <laughs> I can't make myself do it. I no, wish I had to. Cool. That's tough to get now. Oh yeah, but the McFarlane art in this is awesome. But as far as it tying into Inferno, eh, very tangentially. Though Spider-Man will get pulled in more as we go. Yep. All right, so that's going to bring us to our main issue of the episode. And that's Uncanny X-Men number 239, the prologue to Inferno for the X-Men. Written by Chris Claremont. Penciled by Mark Silvestri. Inked by Dan Green. 
Letters by Tom Orjakowski. Colors by Gwyneth Oliver. And this story is Vanities. We have a pretty cool Sylvester cover. We have Sinister striking a pose on the front, holding his hand in his chin. He is, he is striking the perfect, it's almost 1990, hand-in-the-chin pose. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a straight-up Bond villain on this cover. Uh-huh. A gothic emo Bond villain. Which you know, you know, though, like, that cape looks all haphazard and torn. You know that fool spends hours getting that cape just so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It takes a lot of moose to get your cape to look like that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, in his left hand, he is holding um, Inferno and who's this? It looks like Madeline Pryor with some underboob. But um, that's going to be the Goblin Queen. We'll find out more about that as it goes along. It's a pretty good cover. I mean, Sylvester has good art. Um, it almost looks like uh, Madeline's wearing a wig, though. Like the hair and the face are a little disconnected, I thought. Well, that's nitpicky, I guess. You have any thoughts on the cover? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fine cover. I hate the Goblin Queen outfit. I've always hated the Goblin <laughs> Queen outfit. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make physics sense. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's Sylvester. It is what it is. Yeah. And Sinister going, hmm. Things to make you go, hmm. All right. Uh, so, basically, in this issue... Mr. Sinister laments the death of the X-Men as worthy adversaries. Uh, basically that whole, oh man, I didn't get to kill them myself thing. Yeah, we all go through that sometimes. Yeah, and so for some reason he has a bunch of crystal X-Men statues, and he goes through this story breaking each one, and as he does it, we see what the X-Men are doing in Australia. Dazzler sings in a band. Havoc tries to outrun his guilt. Storm sees Gene on the news and confronts Wolverine about it. And that's the only thing Wolverine does in this whole issue, is get blown around by Storm. Psylocke, Rogue, and Colossus train, followed by Psylocke swimming in lingerie. We find out Sinister has a summer's baby. Alex and Madeline finally hook up. Madeline leaves Alex in bed to contact Naster. We find out that she uh, is somehow the Goblin Queen, and has some sort of deal with the demon to find Sinister and the Marauders, so the X-Men can have vengeance and she can get her son. And so that really kind of kicks off the story proper for, for the X-Men. So I'm kind of looking through this. We have kind of some Sylvester humor through here. Um, have the little kids screaming about our ice cream. It drops on the floor. And we kind of have what's... I guess it's supposed to be kind of funny, but it's really dark. It's, oh my gosh, these first two pages. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is not uh, post-code. This is uh, during the code, right? Yeah. yeah. Approved by the comics. These first two pages are so dark. Yeah. It's, basically, it's Empire State Building. Family's gonna go up to the top of the Empire State Building. Got two bratty kids, three bratty kids. You got the beaten down dad who's just worn out by it all. Uh, they're so touristy. They go get on this elevator. Then the elevator, in an extremely disturbing way, eats them. Yeah. Blood comes out the elevator door, and then the guy who on his headphones is listening to Hot Time Summer in the City just <laughs> pops up the blood without even <laughs> without even realizing it. Yeah. But, 
the whole like it's hurting daddy something's got me yeah Somebody, anybody have mercy it's so dark yeah and, and yet this guy's just mopping the floor <laughs> in the city. it's it's crazy and it's crazy because i don't know like it's one thing like the elevator comes to life and eats people in the blood and that's kind of creepy and dark but when you think about two kids just got eaten yeah i think just killed two kids like, i don't know yes. that's, that's the part that's like i get it like hey the kind of you know, the jerk dad, whatever, he's getting on the elevator. <laughs> Kill these little kids. <laughs> it's, it's, it is dark. Yeah. But it's okay because they were bratty. So we're not that, supposed They to, were bratty. We don't feel too bad, supposedly. Yep. Um, anyway, on page three, we get an epic, and I mean epic, sinister monologue. <laughs> and we also get a good shot at his three-layered boots. <laughs> Man, those boots. <laughs> He's got the thigh high and the ankle high all at the same time. It's crazy. And the ankle high are the big wide, like you can you, know, you can keep your M&Ms or your Skittles in there. <laughs> it's, those things are, are wide open. Yeah. <laughs> He's got all this Crystal X-Men, a collection to make your grandma jealous. Yep. And I don't have a whole lot to say. Um... And we have kind of the, the fight, between, not really the fight, kind of the, the somewhat rebellious argument between Malice slash Polaris and Sinister, where he kind of reverse psychologies her into being submissive. Um, yeah, that whole storyline just makes me feel tired. I don't like Malice. Yeah, I'm not a big fan either. And you got dads were busting into the bar. It's more of a, as, as a saloon. It has like the little swinging saloon doors. There's a random dogs not allowed sign on the wall, which you know I yeah, understand I, in Australia because they have a big problem with dingoes eating babies. But that's true; <laughs> it is a recurrent problem. I also think it's funny that her shoes don't match. One what has a strap and one doesn't. What are you looking at? The cover when she comes in the door, or the the splash page. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, only one has a strap. Yep. Or maybe it's, oh, a, it's an ankle bracelet. Maybe it's so. It's just badly colored. Oh, it on the is, because on the next page, it's, it's drawn differently. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so she basically goes to the, the so bar. Jason, did you, did you ever wear an ankle bracelet? I never wore an ankle bracelet. <laughs> did you? Eh, college was a weird time. <laughs> Indeed. Like not, not for legal reasons, I haven't worn an ankle bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And so basically she goes to the Australian version of the bar from Roadhouse. <laughs> but because she's such a good performer, um, the bar quiets down. Everyone pays attention to her in her light show. And um, yeah. So Dazzler does her thing. Havoc does his thing. There's not a whole lot to say there. Boy, those Summers brothers, just Whew. the level of... The level of self hatred and level of just man, just they relax a little bit. Yeah, uh, I did want to comment on page fourteen that Alex thinks to himself he doesn't want to become like Wolverine, and we also have a, a thing here where Madeline reads thoughts, which is new. Yep. So that that's a new part of the story. 
Not only does she look like Jean, she's starting to exhibit some of, some of her powers. Well, yeah, and the whole like she—he thinks she's appearing out of Dazzler's light show, but I'm—I'm I'm not sure she didn't just Phoenix appear up? there because she's a because she's starting to manifest powers and abilities that you know she didn't have before. So right, yep, pretty crazy. And then Storm and her little ascot. I, I don't know why Storm is looking at images of all her own different costumes. Maybe she's trying to decide what to wear next. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, what's what's next? Yeah. What's next for Storm? And apparently it's an ascot. <laughs> mm-hmm. A red bandana. And then she gets mad at Wolverine. And she blows him around in the purple rain. And uh, Now, I know, I know Sylvestri tends to draw Wolverine with kind of the fancy boots. But you can only see it in one panel. This is a fancy hat he has. It's got feathers in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a... Uh, I mean, he wasn't just hanging around the ranch there. He was going out. No, he reminds me of that fancy Dan guy from... Uh, wasn't that his <laughs> name? From the, the hung out with Ox and... Um, yeah, from yeah. the, uh, the uh, Enforcers. Yes, yeah, that was the name, the Enforcers. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, they were... Uh, Early, early, they were our first ten issues. They're a Ditko group. Yeah, they all they all shop at the same hat shop. <laughs> so anyway, Wolverine kind of tries to defend him, not telling Storm about Jean, but he basically says, "I couldn't trust my own senses. Like I sensed her, but I didn't believe it myself. I wasn't sure. Maybe I just wanted it so bad." So anyway, that's really all Wolverine has to do. Oh, so we also, uh, with Rogue and Carol, we established that there's a, f- a full dual psyche. Yep. Right, well, no... then we saw that uh, in the... In Genosha. Yeah, in Genosha, you saw where Carol took over for a while. Right, right. But now that once she came to the top, she doesn't go back down. So now they're like kind of co-driving. They're peace, right? They're working together better now. Right, yep. Yep, and then Psylocke strips down to her negligee and goes for a swim. I don't know about you, but I don't normally wear my sexy lingerie under my battle armor. But No, I mean, she's wearing more than a, than a Havoc's wearing on the next page. <laughs> True. Uh, so what do you think is going on here where Rogue touches her shoulder? It was kind of weird, right? Because nothing really comes back to that yet. And that's very no, unclear. I mean, touches it. Oh, you know what I think that is? Okay, so do you think because she's got her glove off, right? Yeah. She takes off the glove, but Carol's on top. If Carol's the dominant personality, does it suppress the mutant ability? Oh. Where she can touch someone without it draining them? I don't know, and we don't know from Genosha because her powers were stripped anyway. Exactly. When Carol was in charge. They make sure you see that she's touching her on the shoulder. So it's like one of two things. Either it's like a strategic thing where Carol wanted to use Rogue's abilities to kind of get into Betsy's head and understand what's going on or something. Or it's, hey, I can touch you because that suppresses the ability. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, because it's very like, here, look at this. And then like nothing comes out of it for a while at least right now in the next I think couple it's something of... to pay attention to as you're going through the next you know few arcs to see if that comes right. back at some point yeah 
And I can say for sure, because I haven't finished reading all the rereading all the Inferno issues, but I'm, I'm through the next two Uncannies, and nothing happens that, to that point. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that, listeners, see, see what happens. So on page 24, we get our first hint of the Madeline-Sinister connection, where Sinister talks about Madeline, um, you know, being her, her pride and joy. Um, Boy, there is so much music reference in this issue. Yes, there is. There's a ton of it. And we have Devil with a blue dress on the next page, and then Madeline shows up in a blue dress. It's yep. This is a lot. Um, yeah, and this this is where you get Havoc in his very tiny black speedo. Oh yeah, and, and so. I mean, granted, they probably all have their own rooms, right? And I guess have Alex's room came with a balcony. So does he just leave all this stuff out here all the time? Or does he carry that framed picture of him and Lorna just wherever he goes? Yeah, I mean, he's got his first flight book, his to Alex signed. By the way, I've never had a couple's picture signed by the person <laughs> who's in it. <laughs> Is that really a thing? Do people really have that? I don't know. Do you have do you have a picture of you and Denise that she has signed to you? No, no. That's kind of great. Yeah, pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go sign one for Allison. She's gonna it's gonna be on her desk waiting for her tomorrow. <laughs> go sign one of our wedding pictures. Right, but then symbolically the picture falls and breaks. Yeah, well, the devil in the blue dress shows up. Yep. Then we get a weird face for Havoc, but there's some weird some, some weird art in this issue. So Madeline, though, echoes my exact sentiments on Scott Summers. <laughs> Yo, my gosh, she says it perfectly. Yep. That, like, yes. hey, I didn't walk out on him. I didn't abandon our baby. Yep. I didn't toss this commitment down the dumpster. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, she she... I know some people later felt like you know, when Scott kind of, when Scott turns, that that seems out of character. Not at It's all. not. Nope. He's, he's been a tool forever. <laughs> he's been a bad guy for most of the run of the comics. Right. Outside of the early Stan Lee stuff where he was just all golly gee. <laughs> it's, this has been who he is. Right. So we can get a little bit of reprieve from that in the 90s, but not much. So I was trying to remember, but I'm pretty sure after all this time, this is the first time we get the name for the Summers baby, where Sinister calls him Nathan Christopher Charles Summers, which is a mouthful. I It's the first time I remember seeing the name and the way they put it all in bold, you know, super bold call it out letters i feel like they're trying to make that point yeah i think i think you're right that this is the first but he's been in the comics so much it's weird it's weird that he went without a name for so long yeah i mean we assume that that scott and madeline had a name for him we just weren't privy to it but it's still weird yeah so and i think that charles will get dropped before though I'm sorry, what was that? I don't recall it being mentioned before, though. Yeah, I don't either. But I think the Charles will get dropped. The Nathan and Christopher will stick. Yeah. But 
Of course, that's a, a, a name after Charles uh, Xavier. We see that Aster finds the baby. And then we get a really cool last panel where as Madeline kind of kind of pronounces she's the Goblin Queen and she talks about how she wants her son and we see a phoenix fire in the pupil. Yep. And it's pretty great. Yeah, you know there's there's more to Madeline than you've realized up to this point. Yeah. You know, as a character that kind of started off as, oh, really? They This, this is a clone of Jean and Scott's going to marry her or whatever and they have get married have the kid. And I don't know like, what was the, the long-term plan when they invented the character. And by the time Scott puts her through the ringer, she becomes very sympathetic. And then when you see like the link she goes to to try to get her kid back, and it's kind of all Scott's fault, and you know, kind of the anger she and resentment she has at him, like it makes this whole turn to the Goblin Queen very natural and also very intriguing, and a lot yep. more interesting than it could be. Like, like Claremont really did good on this. I thought. Yeah. No. He. He did a really good job of the slow burn where this was planted and built over quite some time. You know, this isn't part of a six issue arc. This was a long form storytelling, gradual build so that like you just said when it happens, it doesn't seem like it came out of nowhere. Right. It, yeah, it totally makes sense. And I mean, it's her kid's gone and it's been gone for a long time and it's that kind of what links wouldn't a parent go to and uh and then kind of that same bit about once you start down a certain path you can get pretty far before you look back and realize how much you've changed right yeah yeah it's really really good really emotional i wrote my notes for for the overall plot of this and it was uh Equal parts silly melodrama and equal parts awesome, but the awesome wins out. I felt like. Uh, yeah, is- no, I think so. I mean, it, it's, it is a really an up and down issue because it yeah. has so much that's really good and really super plot focused and really character driven. And then, you know, then you've got your, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of little, you, it's no secret. I don't think any of us like Dazzler. <laughs> no. There's so many Dazzler pages here in the middle. And... Yeah, sorry, John Wilson. Oh, is it just... He's, he's our listener that, that really enjoys Dazzler. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, he, he needs to come to Awesome Comics. There's like the whole run is in the three for a dollar <laughs> box. That's true. That's true. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I felt like it did what it needed to do to really get this story cranked up because up to this point you're setting a stage and you're understanding what's going on but you don't necessarily care and this is the issue where it turns to something you care about right because you because i mean i i don't want to be callous towards um skids but <laughs> i don't care what happens to skids or to richter or to taki right. but you know you care about what happens to your x-men who've already been through the ringer presumed dead living in australia so it exactly it, it raises the stakes indeed indeed so what do you think of the art in this issue uh it was for me really hit and miss because there's some that's fantastic because you know sylvester is a really good artist so right. 
some of it's really, really good. Um, and I actually kind of like his little cartoony moments that he throws I do in. Too. Yeah, I don't really remember those. You know, I talked when we first started Sylvester's art on this book. I talked about how that kind of surprised me, but I do really, really like it. Yeah, I like I like those little touches. I, you know, same thing. Uh, I tend to not like. I think he he goes over sexualized. This is kind of the, and, uh, the yeah. That's the first I mean, kind of overtly like, like referenced. Why in the world under her battle armor? <laughs> oh, man, I think we're cutting out or something. Are we? Are you yeah, back? Can you hear me fine? Yes. Okay, if you can hear me fine. Yeah, I mean, why in the world under her battle armor does she have skimpy lingerie? And why in that scene does she take off all her battle armor to go swimming in her lingerie? Right. It's, it's stuff like that that's just, it's, it's not advancing the plot. It's not part of the story. It's, you know, we all yeah. know why it's there. Yeah. So, that's that's the know, real kind of beginning of, of Sylvester's super sexy Sylvester. And we've seen yeah, little hints of it, but this road. is the first, like, right in your face. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, but I mean, I, on the flip side, I love his Mr. Sinister. Yes. That ridiculous throne Mr. Sinister sitting on. <laughs> um, I hate Malice, but I like the way he draws Lorna Malice. It's, right. you know, creepy. So it was real up and down for me. And going back to I the... do like Havoc's, uh, I do like Havoc's Speedo. It's well, who, really who well done. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, all right. When do you want to grade Uncanny X-Men 239? I was, I was torn on this one. I think I'm going to go four out of six. Okay. Which way were you torn? Up or down? Uh, I was torn on going up one. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give Uncanny 239 five out of six claws. There was enough kind of exciting revelations for me to, to bump it up. But I can understand doing a four as well. That makes sense. All right, cool. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this old episode up a little bit. Uh, the next chapter is going to be Daredevil 262. Um, as New York City continues to go mad, a vacuum cleaner attacks a dying Daredevil. And that's all you need to know. This is in the middle of the Anacenti John Romita Jr. run. So the writing's not great, but the art's pretty good. But yeah. Yeah, he, he, he fights an evil vacuum cleaner. Innocenti likes making Daredevil fight like robots and things like that. Yeah. That other one we did. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the, the security robot. All right, so moving, we're going to close out. Let's go out of order one. Why don't you go ahead and mention the Fantastic Four, and then we can talk about these three Spider-Man issues. Okay, sure. The, I mean, the Fantastic Four is just, it's barely an Inferno crossover. This is the kind where it makes people mad. Right. What number is it? it? You know, if they bought it to follow the storyline. Not that it's a bad comic, but because it, the only thing about Inferno really in here is that Manhattan's really, really hot because Inferno's <laughs> going on. Right. Uh, it's a very typical, I mean, it's Fantastic Four versus Graviton. Uh it, it, the only good good things in it is this is when it has she thing, oh, okay. Sharon Ventura she thing character, right? And it's while Ben Grimm had his big protrude, protruding rocks. Okay, cool. So it's yeah. a, a fun era to read. Yeah. What number was that? You're cutting out. I can't hear how oh, you're no. saying. I don't know what's going on. Okay. If you're still hearing me, fine. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so we're gonna end with three issues of Spider Man. Uh, we have Spectacular 146, 
Webb of 47, an amazing 312. Spectacular 146 continues some non-Inferno subplots. Harry Osborn um, is moved to his childhood home and is having bad dreams about the Green Goblin. Webb 47, Hobgoblin threatens Harry Osborn's family and his hunt for Norman Osborn's goblin formula. Harry sends Hobby on a wild goose chase to the Oscor offices in the city. After spying and Hobby leave, and his family is safe with neighbors, and angry Harry recovers a green goblin suit from the attic and remembers his time as green goblin number two. And then an amazing 312, Goblin War. Green Goblin versus Hobgoblin by Todd McFarlane, Nuff said. Nice. So I actually really enjoyed these Spider-Man issues overall. Um, yeah, I mean, that's where some of the uh, ramifications come in because right. there's actually uh, weight to what happens because of Inferno for Spider-Man. Yeah, definitely. And and the whole the arc in this little section that Harry goes on is really interesting. And yeah, course, absolutely. Hobgoblin's going to make a really big change we'll talk about next episode. But, and just seeing them fight, seeing McFarlane draw two goblins and with Spider-Man just kind of running around in the middle of it made for a very, very entertaining issue. Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of kind of the the, the Spider-Man art, as I've gotten older, I've really grown to appreciate Sal Buscema's art, like on this spectacular Spider-Man run. Me too. It's a a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Alright, well that's where we're going to cap this issue. Uh, like I said, we'll get to the bulk of it next time. Um, so what do you think of this kind of beginnings of Inferno so far? You know, I mean, it's a... If I had read this as it came out and I'd gotten to this point, I don't know that how excited I would be. You know, because it hasn't really gotten... The, the X-Men one really gets going... But the exterminator stuff, it's not, you know, it's, it is stuff that, you know, it's, it's limbo, it's demons. It's not, it's not stuff that was really in my wheelhouse either. Right. But, uh, the Spider-Man stuff is great. It, it's, uh, it's great standalone regardless of the uh, story, but it, Inferno as a whole, I think really gets going when it starts bringing in X-Factor and new mutants and you really start seeing the story build. Yep. I'll agree with that. My sentiments. Exactly. Cool. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Any uh, closing thoughts? No, I think I'm good. Cool. Well, you have anything you want to plug? Anything going on you want to talk about? Man, I've got nothing going. I did get back on Twitter for the first for the first time in about five years. Oh, what's your Twitter handle for the listeners? Uh, it's uh, I don't remember. Uh, I think it's uh, dead no more, right? I think it's not dead now. Oh, okay. With maybe some underscores between not and <laughs> dead and now. I don't know. So at not underscore dead underscore now. Something like that. Okay. I can probably look. I, I've got one follower, so I'm uh, <laughs> I'm going to start posting like crazy. <laughs> Fill up my timeline. I'm, I'm going to flood their feed. <laughs> um. I have a a quick announcement that I will plug besides the podcast. I am starting a new musical project called, Hey, there's a drawing of me on Andrew's, on my screen, on Andrew's side. Yeah, that's interesting. You'll have to send me that so I can tweet it. During the the episode. (laughs) 
Anyway, I have a new musical project called The Blast Elastic, just my kind of solo stuff. And the Twitter is at The Blast Elastic. I have a new song on there called Campaign Season that I put out just in time for the election. It's really my first ever political song, so there's that. But I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, let's see, I have three followers. One of them is, yeah, at underscore not, or no, sorry, at not underscore dead underscore now is uh, Andrew's Twitter. Now, if you go there, this may blow your secret identity, but anyway. That's... <laughs> now I'll post uh, sketches of Jason on there. It'll be great. Awesome, awesome. Well, for the podcast, all the usual, please like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snickcast. Email us, snickcast at yahoo.com. Website with show notes is snickcast.podbean.com. The next episode, we're going to really, really dig our claws into Inferno, our demonic teeth, and just chew it up. And so that will probably be, we're going to try to keep it as streamlined as possible. I can't promise we'll get it all into one episode, but we're going to try. And so... That'll be next. So, uh, again, Andrew, thank you very much for coming on. I look forward to doing the next one with you. And um, until next time, hugs and snicks, everybody. And snacked.